This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Is America truly a nation with justice for all? A legal expert says large numbers of ordinary Americans are being underserved by today's justice system. More than half of the people appearing in these courts do not have a lawyer. Yet these courts, by and large, operate as if everyone there has a lawyer. Then, death and injury rates from everyday accidents like car crashes and home fires are increasing. How can we get more people to stay safe? We'll have the story. Would there be a way to bring home that safety culture that we have at work and infuse it into our everyday lives? That would probably make this problem go away. Don't go away. We'll have those two stories and more on this week's InfoTrack. The show begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. It's said that America is a place with justice for all, but some say we can't deliver on that promise because the laws are too complicated and legal advice is just too expensive for many people. Ben Barton is professor of law at the University of Tennessee and co-author of Rebooting Justice, More Technology, Fewer Lawyers, and the Future of Law. Ben, let's start where we are right now with the U.S. justice system. What's wrong and why isn't it working? We are facing a severe and growing access to justice problem, and it's happening in both the criminal courts and in the civil courts. In the civil courts, you have whole areas of law, including pretty important ones like divorce, child custody, eviction, debt collection, bankruptcy, where more than half of the people appearing in these courts do not have a lawyer when they appear and don't have access to legal advice before they get there. Yet these courts, by and large, operate as if everyone there has a lawyer. So it's a disaster for these folks. The procedures are complicated, the law is hard, and the odds that they're going to get a fair disposition are way lower than they should be, in our opinion. On the criminal side, everybody has a guarantee of a lawyer, but of course, most people get a public defender and bless their hearts, they're working as hard as they can, but they've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases a year. Way too much work to actually sort of individually help anybody. What's the history that led us to this point? One part of it is that we argue that law has just gotten more important and maybe too important in lives. Like basically in America, we ask the law to do a bunch of work that social norms and other types of activities used to do and also do in other countries. And then lawyers have gotten more expensive over time, which is ironic because we actually have too many lawyers, but we train them to do individualized work. And so at a couple hundred dollars an hour, when the law is so complicated, it takes a long time to do anything, even a relatively simple divorce or trying to defend a DUI or something like that. Things that should be relatively easy take hours and hours and hours of expensive time. Why do so few people in civil courts have no lawyer? Is it that they can't afford one? Yeah. I could tell a longer story, but the short answer to that question is yes. They just can't afford it. And if you think about it, even at $100 an hour, and most studies show that even the cheapest lawyers are $200 an hour, even at $100 an hour, if you need 20 hours of legal work, and of course 20 hours isn't very much to try and work out a whole divorce, 
I mean, that's two grand. That is not a small amount of money to most Americans, let alone 100 hours of work. I mean, if you get into a complicated divorce, it gets unaffordable very quickly. What are some of the things that we can do to make this system better? One approach is to try and simplify procedures. And so, for example, I mentioned there's all these courts where the majority of people don't have lawyers. Well, hey, crazy idea, but why don't we set those courts up to assume that nobody has a lawyer and set it up so that it's simpler, so that the clerks and the judges and the litigants are all explained what the procedure is going to be, what law applies, and what information the court needs to make their decision. And that can be done like on a human-to-human basis, but that can also be done on a computerization basis. There's a whole new area called online dispute resolution, where you can have computer-run mediation. You can have the computers help settle some of these cases and then help the computers gather the information that courts or juries might need. So you can do a lot of things to streamline both the procedure and the underlying law and then even put some of it online. What would that look like, having the Internet or computers bypass humans in dispute resolution in the courtroom? There actually is a pilot program to do it in the United Kingdom. Any lawsuit that's 25,000 pounds or less will be handled 100% online. And that's about 35 grand. That's not a small claims court. Like There are some medium-sized cases that will end up in those sorts of courts. In the Netherlands and in Australia, they have fully online divorce courts where you can handle all of it online. And basically, the way it works is the computer works as a mediator and guides the parties through the areas of agreement and the areas of disagreement. So, for example, in a divorce, they could agree on selling the house and what percentage they're going to sell it for, but they can't agree on child custody. Well, that's fine. At least one issue is off the plate. So it works through the issues that you can decide, and the ones you can't, the computer will try and guide you to a solution. And if you can't, then at least at the end, for the final thing where a human, a judge, or an arbitrator would handle it, most of the issues are taken care of, and you're just dealing with a few things. I see. So what you're doing is you're going through the issues using the online system, but the final gavel will be by the judge in a courtroom. Right. And the judge would have a review of whatever the settlement is, too. Obviously, there are concerns with this where if there's one party who doesn't know how to use a computer or there's one party who's less savvy, you might end up with a really unfair deal. But you can, of course, check for that at the end. It seems like legislators have very little incentive to change the system. And there's, of course, a lot of lobbying money coming their way. What's the solution to that? Yeah, well, part of the problem is that courts are seen as this sort of sacrosanct institution off to themselves, and it's the judges who get to run it. And, of course, all the judges are former lawyers, and so it's not surprising to find out that they kind of favor both lawyers and, of course, the way it used to be, right? Judges, by and large, have had a long career. And then they come on as older people, and generally speaking, they're not super interested in reinventing everything from scratch. So it's actually, weirdly, it's not so much the lobbying, I think, as much as it is institutional bias towards lack of change. But we are seeing it changing, and the reason we're seeing it changing is the access to justice problem has gotten so bad that even courts have started to tip over a little bit. So California and New York are the two states that have sort of worked hardest on it, but right here in the great state of Tennessee and all over the country, you have these access to justice commissions starting up, and they're looking at doing the types of changes that we're arguing for. You mentioned earlier that there are more lawyers than ever 
And in most markets, that would result in a lowering of costs, lowering of price. I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Why isn't that happening? Yeah. It's the central puzzle of what's going on. The problem is partially, and I'm actually in my office in the law school, part of the problem is what happens in this building, and then part of the problem is what happens once the students leave. Starting from law school, we train the students to work on each case as if it's an individualized snowflake as if you were making a suit from scratch each time you made a suit of clothing. So that is a very good way to do it if you have the money to pay for it. The problem is that most people don't have the money to pay for it. Now, we don't train them how to do sort of more mass production type law, and that's really where law schools and where the country needs to go. Could you give us some examples of instances where a lawyer is necessary where perhaps it shouldn't be? Yes. Right now... All misdemeanors where you even have the chance of spending more than one day in jail as punishment requires a lawyer. We would argue that basically you should take all of those resources and shift it up to felony defense. Obviously, as part of that, you sort of have to charge fewer people with misdemeanors and treat misdemeanors less seriously than they're treated right now. But yeah, we would shift the money out of misdemeanor defense and move it to felony defense. Felonies are the most serious crimes. They come with the most serious consequences. And basically, if you're convicted of a felony, it's really likely that you're not going to be able to vote the rest of your life. You're going to have a hard time getting a job the rest of your life. It's just a crippling problem for you. So we would work hardest on those and let misdemeanors go more. Oh, and also in like small claims and divorce courts and child support courts, you could run all of those without lawyers. The book is Rebooting Justice, More Technology, Fewer Lawyers, and the Future of Law. Ben Barton, Professor of Law at the University of Tennessee. Ben, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Next, think safety first, and you can prevent injury or death. That story, coming up. Stick around. There's more InfoTrack straight ahead. <laughs> <laughs> 